Hey y'all, this is Charlie, and we are living, loving, laughing in grace. And I want to take a quick moment today just to thank you for tuning in again. Thank you for listening and just joining with me to um, recognize our Lord and Savior, to hear his word and to, to be refreshed by him. You know, Jesus is with us. He joins us every time that we gather in any way to see him, to see him lifted up, to see him in his word. And it's a privilege for me to share, and it's a privilege for all of us to get to come to the Lord's Word and to get to be with Him and see Him. And so we're just going to enjoy His presence today as we go through His Word. And we just thank you for that, Father. And we just ask you to open up our hearts that we will see you and see the work of your Son in a, in a new way, that we would have a fresh revelation of your love for us, and a spirit of your wisdom so that we can have a greater knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we're going to dive right into the word. And we're coming back to one of my favorite verses to start off, Romans 5, 17, which says, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. My friends, it is God's desire for you to reign in life. He, we know that when we go to heaven, we're going to reign, right? But he, you don't have to wait till you're there. He has made all the provision so that we can reign in life starting here and now. But it's up to us how much we want to receive. You know, you can receive the gift of his righteousness, which, you know, his righteousness is what gives us salvation. And you can receive that. And we receive that by grace. And you can stop there. You can say, all right, I'm, I'm good to go to heaven. I'm, I'm set to go. And, um, and, and you can decide that that's enough. And then live a miserable life here, just waiting, waiting, waiting to the day you get to heaven. Or you can say, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of your grace. I want to reign in this life here and now. And that's what we're meant to do. And you know, when you look in the Old Testament, that's what we see. Like God's, God's chosen people, many times their life might have started out rough, but they did eventually end up reigning in life. And guess what? That had nothing to do with the circumstances around them. The scripture doesn't say we'll reign in life so long as there's nothing awful going on in the world. In fact, there was always something going on. Think about Abraham. First of all, he's in a land and a famine comes, a severe famine, right? And then another time he gets involved in a war against four, uh, sorry, five other nations. I mean, so war breaks out in the land he lives in, famine breaks out in the land he lives in, and yet he still reigned. My friend, when you look around at the world, that does not determine the circumstances in your life, the circumstances in our country, the circumstances in this world don't determine the life that we have. Jesus Christ determined the life that we have when he made himself our sacrifice at the cross. When he came and said that I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. We are choosing. And that's why you're tuning in today. And I know it because you do want to receive the abundance of grace and you do want to reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And you do want to celebrate the gift of righteousness that your savior has given you. And that's what we are doing today. 
And in fact, we're going to go to an account that happened in Luke, in the Gospels, where we're going to see the very choice that two people had, where one did choose to receive of the abundance of God's grace and the other one didn't. And we'll see the effect that that had. And we'll see just how we can reign in this life regardless of our circumstances. Hallelujah. So we are going to Luke chapter 7. And um, I'm just going to uh, start at verse 30. It, and so before this, Jesus has been sharing. He's been, uh, he's been teaching. And um, in verse 30, this is Jesus talking. And he says, uh, well, he's not talking. I'm sorry. It says, uh, but the Pharisees, this is after Jesus has finished talking. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. You see, Jesus was just talking about um, John, who had prepared the way for him to come. But I want you to notice it says that they rejected God's purpose for themselves. They and we know that they continued. They rejected John's message when he came and they rejected Jesus all the way to the cross. They rejected him and rejected him and rejected him. And my friends, that's just the thing. It is up to us. God loves us. He adores us. He has paid the price. He showers us with his grace. But if we don't choose to receive it, it avails nothing for us. It's our choice. God respects our free will so much that he will not force himself on us. He will do everything he can to get our attention, to woo us into himself, but he will not force himself. So we see that, he's, that it says the Pharisees rejected God's purpose. And now Jesus is talking. He says, to what then shall I compare the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another. And they say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. So this is like when they played the flute, you know, they played a very, a very lively song, one that you're meant to dance to. And they're saying, we, we played that and you, and you refuse to dance. Why? Their, their heart's too cold. Their heart is too cold to dance to the lively music. And yet at the same time, when they played a dirge, their heart was too cold to weep and to mourn. And he goes on to say, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. So John the Baptist is the dirge in this, in this scenario. And you say he has a demon. So instead of weeping and repenting, they said that John the Baptist had a demon. And then he refers to himself and he says, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Oh, I love this because the Pharisees meant this as an insult. They said, Jesus, you're as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And to them, that was an insult. But our savior, he wears it like a badge of honor. He says, yes, that's exactly who I'm here for. Yes, my friends are the sinners and the tax collectors. And that's who he moved around. That's who he spent his ministry around. He moved among sinners or else they wouldn't have made this claim, right? My friends, Christian life is not meant to be a hermit life. It's not meant to be, I'm going to gather myself around with only my other Christian friends and we're going to, we're going to stay in our little huddle to make sure that we stay clean and pure. 
No, my friend, the Christian life, we are meant to do like Jesus, to get out there and to rub elbows with the sinners so that they will see Christ in us and therefore they will be one. Now, we are not meant to be intimately involved with sinners, right? Because you will become like your company that you keep, but we're meant to, we are meant to be out there moving among them so that they can see Jesus, so that they can see salvation, Amen. And that's what we see Jesus did. And we're about to see him do it again. So he says that, um, you know, and I just love that because you know what? We all started off as sinners, right? And what does Jesus say? He says, he's our friend. He is your friend. You know, nobody knows the dirty and the bad and the ugly about you like Jesus does. Not even you, because we're too fallen to understand how fallen we are. We don't even understand how sinful we are. Only Jesus does. We sin all the time in thoughts and feelings and emotions, not intentionally, but we do and we don't even realize it. But Jesus does and he still calls you his friend. And see, that's why our forgiveness is based on the riches of his grace according to his sacrifice because only him and God know just how sinful we are. And it was God who put all of our sin on his sons so that we can rest assured not a single one was missed. Hallelujah. Amen. So he says, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. And uh, we're going to go keep going and, and we're going to see that he ends up right after he says this, he ends up in a real life account where we see this. It says, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was an especially wicked sinner. And in a lot of um, commentaries and whatnot, they, they say that this woman was more than likely a prostitute. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Now, here's something that I find interesting is that she's a prostitute. Yet she knew the way to this Pharisee's house. What does that tell you about this Pharisee? Is you know, Jesus is there. So words about time what is about time. Hey, you know, uh, Jesus is overeating dinner with Simon the Pharisee. And she knew right where to go, right? So she comes and brings an alabaster vial of perfume. Now, I want you to think about this. Her being a prostitute, an alabaster vial of perfume is extremely expensive. And it says, and it goes on to say that, and standing behind him at his feet. So let me explain this to you because you, you might be like, how did she do this when he's eating dinner? So in their culture, when they ate, they actually would... Um, it was more like laying. That's why it says he was reclining. They would lean on one elbow and their, their legs would be stretched out behind them, right? And the table would be in front of them. And so they'd lean on one elbow and they would eat with the other hand, you know, and that's a, when you know that, and, and later on when the, the last supper, when it says that they were reclining again at the table and John was leaning against Jesus's bosom, that's how he was doing that because they're all, you know, basically lying, sitting, sitting up at the table. And John was leaned back on Jesus's breast, a, a sign that he was depending on Jesus's love for him, right? Cause what's in your breast, your heart, that's where your heart is, which always speaks of love. So she comes and she stands behind him while he's eating and weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears 
and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. So coming back to where did she get this vial, this alabaster vial of perfume, right? She got this through her livelihood. She has brought her very heart and her very soul to Jesus. And this was, this is a grace work, my friends. This is what happens when grace comes in. She's unaware of anyone else. I mean, can you imagine she has walked into the lion's den? She knows that, but she's so enraptured by Jesus and who he is and his love and his grace. And as we're going to see, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the forgiveness that he has given her, that's what causes her to do this. You know, there are, there are dead works, but the Bible speaks of living works too. And it's all about the motives. If she was doing this to get forgiveness, that would be a dead work. If she was doing this to get Jesus's favor, that would be a dead work. But she's doing this because she knows she has been forgiven. She knows that he has favored her and it has caused her heart to overwhelm. And she brings him the very cost of her life and with no thought to anyone else in that room or what they might say, she's just focused on him. This is what grace does, my friends. Oh, this is what grace does to us. She had no thought of what she was doing. She just brought her whole self to Jesus. Amen. And so she's kissing his feet and she's anointing him with the perfume. And it goes on to say in verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, listen to it, the Pharisee saw this. You know, every single word of the Bible is God-breathed. What the Pharisee saw was the actions. Man, man focuses on actions, on doing, on performance. Jesus focuses on people. Can I tell you that God did not make human doings? He made human beings. Amen. God is not in love with you because of the things that you do. That's what man does. That's what man focuses on. Just like we see with this Pharisee. Jesus cares about you for you. He's in love with you. And you know, it's, it's just like him. I want to tell you something about that, just like it said earlier about how the Pharisees rejected God's purpose. It is because the Lord loves you that he has a purpose for you. He doesn't, he doesn't, it's not your purpose that causes him to love you. And you need to always make sure that you keep his love for you above his purpose for you. Because it's when Christians start getting so focused on God's purpose and they think that he's loving them because of their purpose, that's when you're falling under works. You're under works, you're under the law, and you get burned out and bitter and disappointed. We got to remember that God gives us purpose because he loves us. And here's a beautiful thing. I want to read a scripture to you in Isaiah 48. You see this, this Pharisee, he looks at this woman and, and he goes on to say, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if this man were a prophet, oh, he doesn't even believe Jesus is a prophet. 
He would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. See, that's all, that's all a man could see, right? And I'm, and you know, what's really interesting. He is so focused on what she is doing, but to look at what she's doing, to look at her, he's got to look past Jesus. The son of God is there in his presence, but he is looking past the son of God. He is looking past grace himself because his eyes are so focused on sin. My friend, that is what the law will do to you. Remember the Pharisees were, they thought that they were upholding God's law. They thought they were the righteous ones. It was self-righteousness. They thought they were making themselves righteous. They thought it was due to their works and their efforts. If you think that anything comes to the Lord for you, if you are striving for anything through your own efforts or your own works, you're falling into the same place. And you know what? Here's the thing. I've lived both sides of this. I was this Pharisee at one point. You know, I, I, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was five and he became my best friend and I was so in love with him and we had such an incredible relationship and then as I got older and and you know we moved around and went to different churches you also there was kind of two things that happened one is that since I knew Jesus for most of my life and lived a, a quote moral unquote life there was kind of this sense that I'd never really been that bad right? And I think some of y'all can relate to that. Like, well, at least I've never done this, or at least I've never done that. You know, where look how many people she's slept with. Look at, look at how many people she's been with, you know, that kind of gossip that goes on. And well, at least I haven't been with that many people, you know, or at least I haven't done this. At least I haven't done that. And that's one side that we can fall on that is very pharisaical. I don't know if I just made that word up or not. But anyways, it's definitely very, it's all self-righteous. You know, we think that we've been, we've been pretty good. You know, I, I do pretty good. I always help people out and, and I do the things that I should. I, 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 and the other side of it is, so there's a side of me that thought, you know, I haven't been, I haven't been so bad. Right. And then there's that side that, that is like, um, that I, I, I heard these teachings where you've got to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And the more I tried to do that, the more I failed, which is exactly, that is the law. That is the height of the law. That is the supreme law that Jesus came to fulfill because we can't fulfill it, right? And if we're trying to, if you're trying to do that, what we're really saying is step aside, Jesus. I can love God better than you can. Yeah, I see that great little thing you did on the cross, but I've got my own cross and I can love God a little bit better, I think. I mean, no, we would never say those words, but that is, that is the spirit behind that. Because if, if I could love God that way, then that means I can fulfill the law and Jesus Christ died in vain. But no, no, a thousand times no. Of course he didn't. We all know that we can't love God that way. So can I tell you something? If you're trying, stop trying. That's exactly because you're either being a hypocrite 
or you're failing every day. And then you start thinking that every day God's disappointed with you, which is where I ended up because I was trying so hard. I started just thinking he must constantly be disappointed with me, that he must constantly be angry with me. You know, and then I had gotten this other teaching where you had to, you know, that had taught me you have to ask for forgiveness for all of your sins. So I was constantly asking for forgiveness of my sins, which guess what that does? That doesn't make you Jesus conscious. That makes you sin conscious. If you're constantly asking for forgiveness of your sins, one, you're saying that the work of the cross is not done, that Jesus didn't take all your sins like the Bible says that he did, because apparently you got to keep asking for forgiveness. You've just turned forgiveness into a work. <laughs> Basically, when, when I was doing that, I didn't realize it, but I'm saying, I was saying God is forgiving me based on my asking for it, not based on the sacrifice of his son, right? And some might be a little bit confused right now, but don't worry, we'll, we'll get more into it, but I've gotten way ahead of myself. I just can't help it. Oh, and our time is flying by. Oh my goodness. When Jesus was at the cross, God put all our sins on him. We are completely forgiven. And that is borne out in the scriptures again and again and again. My friend, there's something you always need to make sure you do when you read the Bible. You must discern between things that happened before the cross and things that were said or happened after the cross. And everything that happened before, we have to make sure that now we put them in light of the cross because we're living on the other side, right? Jesus came, we're in Christ. You can't be in Christ if all your sins aren't forgiven. You can't be a child of God if all your sins aren't forgiven. You can't be sitting, seating in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus if all your sins aren't forgiven. And in case you don't know, that was all scripture that I just quoted. But our sins have been once and for all removed. It says in Hebrews that Jesus became one sacrifice for all sins forever. Say one sacrifice for all sins forever. Hallelujah. You know, it also says that when he comes back again, he is not coming to deal with our sins. Why? Because our sins were already dealt with at the cross. When he comes back, if he has to deal with sins again, it's saying that there's some left behind. It's saying that some of them didn't get taken care of. Of course they did. That's exactly why Jesus' final words, why he cried out towards the end was, it is finished. And then he released his spirit to his father because he finished the work. He took every single sin so what are we meant to do today? Let me tell you, you know what the word confess means? The word confess in the New Testament means to agree with. It means to agree with. We are meant to agree with God about our sins. And what are we supposed to agree about? That Jesus Christ took them. That he took the punishment for them. That he took the condemnation for them. That they are buried and he rose up out of the grave without them. You know, if I tell you to confess healing, what do you do? You declare scriptures like by his stripes, I am healed. You declare that you are healed in Christ. Yet for some reason, we think confession of sins is asking for forgiveness of sins. You're not going to find that in the New Testament. And if you try to quote 1, 1 John 1, 9 to me, first I'll tell you this, that 1 John 1, 9 is not written to believers. Okay, when John's talking to believers seeing how he's the disciple whom Jesus loved, he calls them beloved. 
But when he starts off chapter one, there's no introduction. He just starts off with, with what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He is testifying to people who don't believe in Jesus. He's saying, look, we heard, we saw, we touched. He's trying to tell them about Jesus. And in so verse nine, he says, if we confess our sins, he's using the royal we here, you know, like, like to, to, to help them understand and to not feel, you know, to come down to their level, like Jesus often does for us. He says, if we confess our sins, which means if we agree that we have sins, as long as you're saying, oh no, I'm not a sinner and I don't have any sins. You can't receive salvation. This is what he's talking about was there were people who had crept into the church who didn't believe that Jesus had actually come in the flesh. That's why he talks about, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him to tell him, no, Jesus came in the flesh. These people believe that he only came by spirit, you know? And so, and then he's telling them, you know, he goes on and tells them how he came and he, and he gives his testimony. And then he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. So he's telling them how they can receive forgiveness of sins. And listen to this. Even if you, you don't agree and you say that this is written to believers, here's the problem. It says he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A-L-L. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friends, how many times can you be cleansed from all? All is all. All is all. And guess what? The original Greek bears out that that word all is there. You can only be cleansed from all your sins one time. And it goes on in chapter two. Now he's talking to believers because he says, my little children, you know, he calls us beloved. He calls us children. Now he's talking to believers. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And here's the thing. If 1 John 1, 9 is written to believers, then we have a problem because of what John wrote and two, one, one John chapter two, verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you. I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. So if, if one John one nine is written to believers, John just contradicted himself. Because he just says that you need to ask for forgiveness of your sins. And then he turns around and says, I'm writing to you because you are forgiven of your sins. Oh, my friends, it's because chapter one is written to people who have not received Jesus Christ as their savior. And even so, like I said, you can only be cleansed all one time. Chapter two, now he's writing to believers. My little children, he says. And he says, remember, you know, I'm writing to you so that you won't sin. But if you do Remember that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Okay, not your confession. Jesus Christ is the atonement for your sins. Our confession is that we agree. You agree that one time with the Lord, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I have sinned. Yes, I believe that Jesus Christ took my sins and he is now my Lord and my Savior. 
That's your confession. It saved you. So now he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you. Have been forgiven you. Think about how long it took letters to get back and forth in those days. Could John write to them if he believed you had to ask for forgiveness to be forgiven? Could he write to them and say, I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven you? No way. He'd have no clue whether any of them had gone to confession or not. It took a long time for letters to get around in those days. How did he know? He knew because it's a one-time deal. So what I'm saying to you, so how do you confess your sins today? Today you confess. Remember, confess means to agree with. So when you fail, you confess to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that because you took that sin, I am forgiven for it. Thank you, Father God, for sending your son to be the atoning sacrifice for my sins so that I am forgiven. Thank you that because Jesus took my punishment, I still receive your favor. And my friend, that that does not cause people to want to run out and sin more. What we're about to see in in this beautiful account that we're in is that the more you understand how forgiven you are, the more you will fall in love with Jesus. Amen. It is easy to sin against a couple of cold, hard stones. The stones that the law was written on. But to sin against your Savior, when you take a moment and see that He suffered as the payment for that, and you thank Him for it, your heart fills with love when you see that that on the cross He looked at you in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your failures, and said, Father, forgive her. Father, forgive him. And he saw each and every one of us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. My friend, we are already out of time. So I'm going to leave you with that today. You know, I, I rely on the Lord's leading and, and trust that, um, that, you, that you've already had a revelation and just see how much he loves you, that he took your whole life's worth of sin Right? When, when Jesus hung on the cross, your whole life was in his future. He didn't just see your sins from the time you were born until the time you would receive him as Savior and then stop, suddenly go, go blind. He saw the sins of your whole life. Just as it says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption. You're not trying to earn it. You're not trying to get it. You have it. And how do you have it? Through his blood, not through your efforts, through his blood. And we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Hallelujah. Here's another one. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Did you hear that? He tells us to forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, my friends, the new covenant is all about receiving, receiving, just as we started off with Romans 5, 17, where it says that much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. The Old Testament was about us giving the old covenant, I should say, what we could give to God and what we could give to God always came up short. My friends, everything man puts his hand to fails. That's how we got in this awful mess from the very beginning when Adam stretched out his hand, when Adam and Eve put forth their effort, 
They tried to make themselves like God when he had already made them like himself. We see that when man's effort equals failure. But under the new covenant, it's all about us receiving from the Lord, receiving from our Savior, receiving what he has done for us. We receive his forgiveness. And as we receive his forgiveness, then we are able to forgive one another. Remember when Jesus said, you'll be forgiven as you forgive those as, as you forgive those um, who have sinned against you? That was before he went to the cross. Yes, under the law, it was all about what you could do. But do you know you will never find that phrase again after the cross of Christ? Hallelujah, because now we're forgiven based on what Jesus did, not based on what we do. So he says we can be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. And I'm going to give you one more. I mean, you can go through every book of the New Testament, of, uh, of the letters of Paul, of the, of the New Covenant, and you will find scriptures that bear this out, that my friend, you have been forgiven. And we are meant to be reminded of that. That's what washes away that filth that we pick up. You know, it's the devil that wants you to think that you're still a sinner. It's the devil that wants you to think that you're lousy and that God has a lousy opinion of you. That's the devil that wants you to think that. Do you think God could possibly have a lousy opinion of you when he gave up his very best for you? His very best. He didn't give us leftovers. He gave us his one and only beloved son, the son whom he loved, the son in whom was his daily delight. Hallelujah. Revelations, the last book of the Bible, chapter 1, verse 5. It says, to him who loves us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. It's talking about Jesus. It says, Jesus who loves us. I love it. You might not find this depending on your translation. Some of them put it all in the same tense. But in the Greek, his loving us is a present continual action. That's demonstrated by the tense of the word love. Washed us is, is in a tense that means Permanent, once and for all done. Isn't that beautiful? He's continuously loving us, but he washed us once and for all from our sins. How? In his own blood. In his own blood. How do you feel the intimacy there? The love that he loves you so much. He washed you from your sins in his own blood. So I want to encourage you. You want to fall in love with your Jesus when you are conscious that you've just blown it. That's the time to say, thank you, Jesus, that you love me so much. You already took that sin for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you've already washed me completely clean of my sins. Thank you, Father, because you sent your son for me. And he washed away my sins. You don't even see that sin on me anymore. God does not see sin on you. It would be an injustice to the work of his son. If he saw all our sins on his son and then also saw them on us. That'd be a double payment. Two payments for one crime. My friend, God is not so un unholy. Where do you think we got our law of double jeopardy from? We're not holier than God. We're not more righteous or just than God. We got it from him. He will not charge the same sin twice. So look to your Savior. Hallelujah. Amen. 
So we're going to continue on with uh, with this wonderful account next time. And, and you'll get to see and love and color, as I like to say, just how receiving the abundance of God's grace, as we've already started to see through the precious and beautiful grace work of this, this lady as she came to Jesus, weeping over his feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair and kissing them. My friend, that is what recognizing how forgiven we are, that's what springs up in your heart. A love for Jesus like that. We love him because he first loved us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Daddy God, we just thank you for this time that we had together today, Lord. And we do. We thank you for sending your son out of your great love for us. We thank you that we're forgiven according to his blood, according to the work on the cross and according to the riches of your grace, not according to anything of ourselves. And Lord, we thank you that with your forgiveness comes healing. And so we declare right now healing, Lord, healing over minds, minds to be set free from the darkness and oppression in the name of Jesus Christ. We declare bodies to be healed, healed and made whole. Lord, we thank you that we know that's your desire. You came to save and you came to heal. And you spent your ministry doing both of those. And you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we declare salvation and healing right now. We just receive it. We receive the abundance of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. All right, my friends. I'm looking forward to seeing you next time so we can we can finish going through this together. All right. Until then, keep on living, loving, laughing in grace.